Hello and welcome to the podcast edition of Scripps 5 Must Know Things, this time for the Business Week ended 1st December 2023. This is Ian Haydock. This time, CAR-Ts and malignancies, comeback for GSK's Blenrep, Novartis's pipeline cull, FDF 21 analogues in Nash, and a call to action from the Scripps Awards Lifetime Achievement winner. One of the initial reactions to news that the US FDA is investigating reports of T-cell malignancies in patients treated with approved CD19 and BCMA targeting CAR-T therapies for hematological malignancies was that CAR-T candidates being developed for autoimmune diseases could be derailed by the potential safety risk. However, many patients with autoimmune diseases and cancer already accept some risk of secondary malignancy. Mandy Jackson writes, several well-known drugs for inflammatory diseases come with boxed warnings about potential cancer risks, including Humira, with a warning about lymphoma and other malignancies in children, adolescents and young adults treated with the AbV product and other anti-TNF biologics. Pfizer's Zelljans has a labelled warning about higher rates of lymphomas and lung cancers than observed with TNF inhibitors in rheumatoid arthritis patients. Nevertheless, analysts and doctors opined after the FDA's 28th November announcement that there might be some reluctance to use CAR-T therapies in the treatment of autoimmune diseases, depending on the outcome of the agency's investigation of T-cell malignancies associated with the products approved for cancer. They also speculated that CAR-T treatments may be relegated to patients with the most severe cases of autoimmune diseases who would be willing to trade a small cancer risk for long-term remission. I think it's a signal that we need to pay attention to, Johns Hopkins University Professor and Haematology Division Director Robert Brodsky said during a 29th November call with reporters to discuss the upcoming American Society of Haematology annual meeting in San Diego, where the FDA's recent CAR-T update is likely to be a hot topic. But most of the people who are getting CAR-T cells, especially the ones who are having malignancies, have such aggressive, rapidly progressive disease, the risk here appears to be very small, Brodsky said. Investigators are just beginning to test CAR-T therapies in autoimmune diseases, and they are starting with patients who have very aggressive refractory autoimmune conditions that are often life-threatening, he noted. So, this is something to watch, something to be aware of, but not any reason to shut this down, Brodsky said. He added that doctors already use medicines that carry a risk of malignancies that develop years after initial treatment, such as chemotherapy in the adjuvant breast cancer setting, but it's a risk that often is acceptable to prescribers and patients as they assess treatment options. The FDA said the risk of T-cell malignancies is applicable to all currently approved CD19-directed CAR-T therapies and the approved BCMA-directed CAR-T therapies. However, the FDA also said the overall benefits of all six products continue to outweigh their potential risks, noting that each CAR-T therapy's label carries a class warning consistent with gene therapy products that use lentiviral or retroviral vectors for delivery, noting a potential risk for secondary malignancies. All of the CAR-T manufacturers are required to follow patients treated with their products for 15 years to document safety issues, including secondary malignancies. The FDA told Scripps' sister publication, The Pink Sheet, that it has received reports of 19 T-cell malignancies associated with the approved CAR-T products, 
including 14 cases through the agency's adverse event reporting system and five cases observed in clinical trials. Just a year after having been removed from the market, GSK's multiple myeloma treatment Blenrep could be in line for a comeback. GSK took the BCMA-targeted antibody drug conjugate off the US market in November 2022 after it failed to hit its progression-free survival primary endpoint in the Phase 3 DREAM-3 study, where it was used in fifth-line relapsed refractory multiple myeloma, Andrew McConaughey writes. The removal was required under the terms of the accelerated approval granted by the US FDA three years ago, while a similar conditional marketing authorization in the EU was also recently not renewed. But now, Blenrep has performed strongly in another Phase 3 study in a second-line myeloma setting where it was compared with Johnson & Johnson's anti-CD38 product, Darzelex. The planned interim efficacy analysis of the DREAM7 trial in 494 patients showed that Blenrep met its PFS primary endpoint when combined with BMS's proteasome inhibitor Velcade plus dexamethasone, significantly extending the time to disease progression or death versus daratumumab plus Bordex, an existing standard of care for the disease. GSK has also disclosed that a strong and clinically meaningful overall survival trend was also observed at the time of this analysis. The trial has been stopped early as a consequence, but participants will continue to be followed for OS data. GSK said only that it would share the data with regulators, but looks likely to seek a return to market for the therapy, for which it had originally forecast peak annual sales of $3 billion. But while the data are encouraging, Blenrep's safety profile will remain a concern. The drug caused toxicity to the eye in a majority of patients across its clinical trial program, ranging from changes in visual acuity, blurred vision and dry eye, to the more serious adverse event, damage to the cornea called keratopathy. GSK did not disclose adverse event results from the latest interim readout, only confirming these were consistent with the known safety profile of the individual agents. More detailed results from the interim analysis will be presented at an upcoming scientific meeting and GSK is continuing to study the ADC in earlier lines of treatment for multiple myeloma and in combination with novel therapies and standard of care treatments. Novartis has reduced the number of drugs it has in clinical development by around 50 products as it looks to focus the pipeline on higher value assets that can deliver blockbuster-sized returns. The company outlined an updated research and development strategy to investors during an R&D day in London on 27th November. The strategy will position Novartis for steady growth into the next decade, CEO Vas Narasimhan said. The company simultaneously raised its mid-term sales guidance from 2022 to 27 to a 5% compound annual growth rate from a 4% CAGR expectation set last year. Novartis forecast a mid-single-digit long-term sales growth after 2027, Jessica Merrill writes. The update comes amid a lot of change at the Swiss drug maker, which has put in place a new R&D leadership team over the last year, led by President, Development and Chief Medical Officer Sriram Aradhai and President, Biomedical Research Fiona Marshall. 
Along with the leadership changes, the company's spin-out of its generic drugs and established products business, Sandoz, in October, has given Novartis another opportunity to reset as an innovative pure-play biopharma. The priority for R&D will be high-value assets that have the potential to be future blockbusters. The aspirational threshold the company has set is $2 billion in peak sales per asset, or $500 million per indication. In general, our expectation is if we don't have a case for the asset to be over $2 billion in peak sales, then that's probably not an asset that will make sense for Novartis to grow, given the size and scale of the company, Narasimhan said. Following the R&D review, the company now has 103 drugs in clinical development, compared to 155 projects in the third quarter of 2021, with almost all of the projects focused in four primary therapeutic areas – cardiovascular, renal metabolism, immunology, neuroscience and oncology. The steepest cull came in oncology, where 37 programmes were cut. Earlier this year, Novartis detailed several programmes that would be dropped. As Narasimhan explained to investors, the reprioritization will allow the company to spend more on potential winners. When we benchmarked ourselves as the new R&D leadership team, we were at the top of the chart in the number of assets, number of preclinical programs, number of trials, but that also meant we had some of the lowest resourcing per project, lowest number of chemists trying to drug a candidate, and so, in making this shift, keeping resources growing in R&D, but now dramatically reducing the pipeline size, we actually put more resources against our clinical stage assets, against our early product portfolio, which we hope will then accelerate and help us find the assets that we really want to go after, Narasimhan said. The company's new pipeline now falls roughly within the median of the company's peer group, which, the CEO said, is a reasonable place to be. With Madrigal Pharmaceuticals, Resmatyrom expected to become the first authorised therapy for non-alcoholic steatohepatitis, or NASH, attention is growing for another class earlier in development, FGF21 analogues, which could provide benefits in the sickest patients, those with cirrhosis or diabetes. In interviews at the American Association for the Study of Liver Disease meeting, Executives from leading companies tried to argue that their drug is best in class, Joseph Haas writes. 89Bio created an early buzz at AASLD with a late breaker presentation on 12th November showing potential benefit in a subset of cirrhotic NASH patients from its Phase 2B enliven study of Pagosa Fermin, which the San Francisco-based firm hopes to bring into Phase 3 in the first half of 2024. This, however, was a small subgroup analysis from a study of the drug in patients with F2, F3 scores, meaning advanced fibrosis that had not yet developed into cirrhosis. In October, Acrotherapeutics presented data from its Phase 2b symmetry trial testing Efruxifermin in cirrhotic NASH patients that showed what analysts called the most impressive results seen to date in F4 patients. The main takeaway from Acaro's data, however, was that the drug showed a numerical trend but did not hit statistical significance for improving fibrosis score by at least one stage after 36 weeks of treatment. Despite Symmetry's primary endpoint miss, multiple analysts talked up the FGF21 analogue class as among the most promising in NASH 
behind the THR beta agonist class led by Madrigal's Resmatyron. That sentiment may yield an opportunity for a third player in the class, privately held Boston Pharmaceuticals, which presented Phase 2 data for its FGF21 analogue BOS508, showing improved glycemic control and reductions in liver fat in a subgroup of NASH patients with type 2 diabetes. While Boston is chasing the timelines of Acaro and 89Bio, the biotech told Scrip during AASLD that it thinks it can differentiate within the class with monthly dosing and better immunogenicity. All three drugs are subcutaneous injectables, whereas Resmatyron and most other advanced NASH drug classes are oral. 89Bio is studying both weekly and every other week dosing with pigosafermin, while Acaro consistently has studied weekly dosing of afruxifermin. In its 102-patient Phase 2A study with BOS580, a genetically engineered candidate in-licensed from Novartis in 2020, Boston categorised Enrolees as normal, pre-diabetic or diabetic, based on HbA1c scores. Over 12 weeks of treatment, the diabetic subgroup showed numerically improved insulin resistance, while all three groups produced reductions in hepatic fat fraction ranging from 57% to 66%. In the diabetic subpopulation, a greater percentage of treatment arm patients reduced their HbA1c levels to below 6.5% compared with placebo. Acaro gave a presentation offering both 96-week data from Symmetry that offered further evidence of clinical benefit in cirrhotic NASH, along with analysis of the 36-week data indicating that the numerical trend to reverse cirrhosis was not attributable to GLP-1 agonism in patients who received afruxifermin on top of a GLP-1 agent. Both Acaro and 89Bio may pursue a regulatory path in NASH by conducting a Phase 3 study in F2-F3 patients with a histology endpoint for accelerated approval, to be followed by an outcome study in cirrhotic patients that could support full approval. Finally, Jeremy Levin, who's CEO and Chairman of Ovid Therapeutics, received the Lifetime Achievement Award at the recent 19th Annual Scrip Awards in London on 16th November. His acceptance speech, a call to action for pharma leaders to do the right thing, outlined an approach to ensure the industry's impact is a positive one, not only for shareholders but also for patients, physicians, employees and wider global communities. Levin said, Our medicines have the power to profoundly change lives, and our leadership has the potential to significantly advance societal health. Treatment of disease, health and patient care are key aspects of the functioning of most modern democratic nations. This reality underscores our industry's strategic importance to humanity. He went on to state, Our role in national and global health, more critical now than ever, brings with it responsibilities and accountability. We, you, must lead by expressing your principles publicly. As you do so, I encourage you to ask yourself, what do employees need to feel safe? What do the patients, families and physicians expect from us? What does our community need from us? How are we contributing to the prosperity of the nations in which we build our companies? But above all, Levin said, leaders cannot stand silent urging people to use your voice as leaders to act and speak out on contemporary issues, climate, women's health, peace, immigration and more. Social engagement is central to our leadership 
our personal growth and our industry's survival. Our industry is at a crossroads. Our choices now will define our legacy, he concluded. See the article for the full text and video of Levin's acceptance speech at the Scripp Awards. That's all for this week. Many thanks for listening. All these stories are linked below and they're just a part of Scripps' global coverage last week. Log in to access all of our content or sign up for a free trial to see what you're missing. Bye for now.